Well, thank you again to all of those who have helped to put our worship service together for Laverne Reidelbaugh, who was our liturgist this morning, for our praise team and Wesley Choir, who offer our musical leadership, for Gary Brubaker, who puts everything together for us. Thank you all for, for the ways that we, that we do this work together. Now, um, we are continuing in our series on who's who in the Bible, talking about maybe some of the people that you know really well, or maybe some that you don't know, or maybe some that you know even just a little part of it, but not their whole story. We've talked about Saul, who became Paul, Deborah, Samson, Mephibosheth, Gideon, and Lydia. And we're talking about who they are, uh, all of their imperfections and their humanity, uh, what their stories tell us about who they were, uh, but also about their faith and how it may influence ours, and also what these stories tell us about who God is. So this morning, we're going to talk about Samson. Would you pray with me? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, let's talk about Samson. Who is he? Now, I started to think um, how I heard about Samson first. And I think it was probably this story that we had in our scriptures today, but really the end of the story, which wasn't covered in our scripture, but it's the end of the story where Samson is chained to like two poles or two um, temple things, you know what I'm talking, columns, Um, and then uh, he prays, and then God gives him strength, and he tears everything down. I have vivid memories of like Sunday school coloring that. Um, I just remember this story really well, and um, maybe that's how you remember Samson. I think a lot of people know parts of Samson's story, like um, the temple and, you know, praying for strength. Or the story of Samson and Delilah. And maybe um, maybe just in a passing reference of like, oh yeah, it's like Samson and Delilah. Um, or maybe uh, knowing about Samson that his strength comes from his hair. Um, or maybe thinking that, oh, I know Samson, he must, he's, he's one of those faithful servants of God. <clears throat> and maybe thinking, well, Delilah was that evil woman who tricked him. And it was uh, Samson's faithfulness that God gave his strength back. Maybe that's the way that you know the story. And I think that's the way that most people think of or think when they hear the story, that that's, that's what the story is. And actually, while some of those details are true, some are actually not true when we actually read what Samson's story was. So let's start from the beginning with Samson. So, Samson uh, lived in the time of Judges, which was the in-between time when um, there were judges who were ruling, but they weren't kings. Um, So there wasn't a monarchy. This was the in-between time. And actually, Samson is the last judge um, before uh, before a king, Um, well, a time where there was no king and then a king. So Samson's birth was actually foretold. So an angel came to an unnamed woman, who was Samson's mother, um, and said that she would have a baby who would lead the Israelites um, and would lead them to freedom from the Philistines. So um, the Philistines were the group that was oppressing the Israelite people at that time. And so the angel tells Samson's mother that she'll have this baby, but she has to do a few things um, to, uh, to make sure that she has this baby and um, that she's faithful. 
And once the baby is born, he'll be a Nazarite. A Nazarite is an Israelite consecrated to the service of God, and they were under specific vows to abstain from alcohol, uh, wine, or any other substances, and to let their hair grow, and um, to avoid defilement by contact with corpses. Those were very specific things that they were under uh, vows to do. And so... um, at this time, the oppressive group for Israel were the Philistines, so um, Samson would overtake them and lead the Israelites into freedom from their oppression. Now, Samson's mother was faithful to what she was instructed, and Samson was born. So then, Samson grows up like children usually do. Um, Samson grows up, and when he is maybe about 14 or 15, he sees a Philistine woman that he likes, um, and he demands to get married to her. Um, Women are going to be a constant theme in Samson's story as just one of the things that drew Samson's attention um, away from faithfulness and away from God. So the story continues, and in preparations for the wedding, um, there's this story in there about Samson where he takes honey from the carcass of a lion, a dead lion. He takes honey from it. It's this kind of strange story that feels like, what is this doing in here? And I know there's probably a lot of symbolism in that. Um, But um, one of the things that this story tells us right away is... Where did he take the the honey from? But from the carcass of a lion, which breaks one of the Nazarites' rules, no touching corpses. So, um, very early in Samson's story, we see him breaking some of these vows that he had made as a Nazarite. And then, um, it says that they threw a feast, a wedding feast that was typical for, for the people and the ages of that time which also tells us that it was a feast of food and drink. Weddings were known to be these large parties. I mean, they still kind of are. Um, But weddings were these large parties with alcohol and with food. And um, people partake, partook, and enjoyed. So what's another one of the Nazarite rules, but no alcohol? So there's two just in this story alone that we see that Samson has ignored or not followed um, or made some mistakes. So then during the wedding, Samson tells this riddle because Samson loved riddles and he loved secrets. So he tells this riddle and says, if you can get this riddle right, then you owe me 30 uh, 30 outfits, 30 pieces of clothes. But if you can't, then um, uh, if you get this riddle right, I owe that to you. If you can't get this riddle, then, uh, then you have to pay that to me. And the people get really upset because they're like, this is going to bankrupt us. And so they go to Samson's wife, his new wife, and they say, you have to get the answer to this. Otherwise, like, we're going to lose everything. So you have to get that answer. Otherwise, we might have to do something to you. Um, so they threaten her. And so she goes to Samson and she begs him for this answer. And not only does she beg him, but she cries and she weeps. It says she cried for seven days. Now imagine how scared she must be that she's been told, if you can't get the answer for us, we're going to kill you. And so she begs for this answer. And so finally, 
Samson gives her the answer. She gives it to the people. They come back to Samson and are like, we have the answer to your riddle. Um, And then he gets so mad. He gets so mad that he kills 30 people because they found out the answer to his riddle. So he, he kills 30 people, and then he goes back to his father's house to pout. So while he's there for a pretty long time, it wasn't like he just went for a couple hours. He went for at least a season, maybe longer. And so when it became the time of harvest, he comes back to claim his wife, um, and he discovers that she is actually now married to someone else because her family was like, you left and you were so mad you killed people. We thought you didn't you didn't want to be married to her. And so she's married to someone else. You can have her sister as a wife if you want. That doesn't settle Samson. He's so angry that he and that he enacts his revenge. So his revenge for his wife, now ex-wife, I guess, anyway, marrying someone else, is he takes 300 foxes, ties their tails together, 300 foxes, ties their tails together, sets them on fire, and then releases them into the area. So they burn down vineyards, they burn down olive groves, they burn down the grain silos, they burn down any grain that's standing, like they burn down everything. This is very clearly economic terrorism. So they burn down basically every way for these people to have food or to make any money. So in retaliation, then Samson's wife and her father-in-law are burned alive. And of course, it doesn't end there because violence usually just takes on more violence. So in retaliation, Samson killed their men. And of course, it doesn't stop there. Um, So in retaliation for that, the Philistines then go to Judah, who were the Israelites. They were not involved in this. They were not a part of this at all. But they go to Judah and say... We're going to take you prisoner because of what Samson did. So instead, what Judah does is um, they convince Samson to be handed over to the Philistines. But Samson has this kind of superhuman strength. And so instead of being handed over, he kills a thousand Philistines with a donkey jawbone. It's a story of escalation of violence upon violence upon violence that just keeps the violence in rotation. So this is all before our story picks up at all. But this is a background on who Samson was. So our story um, about Samson, or our scripture passage from Samson, uh, picks up in chapter 16, and it begins with Samson visiting a prostitute for the night. It's actually pretty typical for Samson. And then he wakes up to his enemies surrounding the house. um, And so he uh, takes the city gates and leaves. It's kind of, again, this kind of strange little vignette, but it still tells a lot about who Samson is. Um, It tells about what's taking his attention. Then it says that he falls in love with Delilah. Now, Samson's story is tied with his desire for women and to be in their company, like their nighttime company. Um, 
In fact, one could argue that it's actually that which drives him more than his faith or even his calling, his love of women and how he spends time with them. But we're introduced to Delilah, the woman who he falls in love with. And he, we have no nationality that we know of, of Delilah. Her name is Hebrew, but she wasn't seemingly a part of the tribe of Israel. And Samson loves her, but we actually have no idea how she feels. What we do know is the Philistines offer her money um, to hand Samson over to them and to take away his strength. So Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. So oftentimes um, Delilah is kind of pictured or portrayed as like this sneaky woman, like she's trying to trick Samson into telling, um, telling his secrets, but she actually isn't tricking him at all. She's straight up telling, asking him. It's not a subtle question that she's asking him. She doesn't trick him. In fact, the phrases and words that she use imply a violent subduing. They're not like, hey, can you tell me how I can maybe like tame you a little bit? This is not that. She asks how you can be tied up and subdued. And the words and the phrases that she uses in that are not like imprisonment, torture, and rape. So this is not subtle. She does not mince words. This is not a trick. She asks, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. And so he tells her the wrong way three times. Tie me up with seven new bowstrings. Didn't work. Tie me up with new ropes. Nope, that didn't work. Weave my hair into the loom. Nope, that doesn't work. So Delilah has been straight up with her question. And it's been Samson who has been telling her the wrong answer or lying or however you want to say that. But Delilah has been truthful with her question tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued and so she continues to ask him until he finally tells her he finally says all right here's the thing you shave my head and I'll lose all my strength because I'm a Nazarite so she's like all right I'll try it um so she does and he loses all of his strength and is handed over to the Philistines Now, that's where our scripture passage ends, but that's not where Samson's story ends. Um, Samson's story doesn't end there. It actually gets more violent. So um, he is indeed subdued, um, tied up and subdued by the Philistines. He is tortured. His eyes are gouged out, and he's chained up for their entertainment. And then Samson's hair starts to grow back. And as his hair starts to grow back, he asks God for his strength so that he can get his revenge on the Philistines. God hears his cry, and Samson uses his strength, you know, those two columns he's chained between, he uses his strength to collapse the temple, killing all of the Philistines and himself. It's a story, again, where violence escalates violence, which escalates violence, which doesn't end well. This is the story of Samson. Now, what fuels Samson? You can certainly argue that that women fuel Samson, or really his desire of women. 
but also revenge fuels Samson. When he feels wronged, he enacts revenge, killing, fire, economic terrorism that just continues to escalate and escalate. Not one point in his story, in this, these, these chapters that we have of Samson in the book of Judges, not one thing that seems to fuel him is his faith. In fact, those in this story who are the most faithful are actually the women. Samson's mother followed all of the instructions given to her by the angel of God in order to raise her son to be the leader that he was called to be. She was faithful. Now, even Delilah was faithful in that she never lied to Samson. She never tricked him. And while her fuel wasn't faith in God, it was in money, she was still honest. And Samson, while physically strong, wasn't necessarily strong in other ways. I mean, there are a lot of ways that you can say that Samson was just not, maybe he wasn't the brightest crayon in the box, that he relied on his physical strength more than anything else. Now, the book of Judges continues after this with no king. And the Israelites have had a model for how to continue to be, and that model was Samson. So if you think about how Samson lived his life and how he modeled how to be for the Israelites, they just continue to do what's right in their own eyes. Whatever they think is right, they do. Whatever pleases them, they do. So it's not a great ending. It's not a great ending for Samson's story. It's not really a great ending for the Israelites' story. I mean, if you end it there anyway, it's not a good ending. But it's not the end. The story indeed continues because God always hears the cries of God's people. Now, I think Samson's story tells us so much. I think that there's parts of Samson's story that's a warning. Kind of don't do these things because revenge escalates revenge, which escalates revenge. Violence escalates violence, escalates violence, escalates violence. And who wins? No one does. So I think there's parts of Samson's stories that are clearly a warning. I think there's also a part in there of asking, how are we caring for one another? Because Samson put other people in risk and in jeopardy because of what he wanted. How are we listening to the cries of the poor and the struggling? Do we let revenge lead us? And if we do, when is enough enough? So I think there's a lot of Samson's story that is a warning to all of us. But I also think that this story is... While it's a story that includes Samson, I think it's also a story about who God is. And I think it's a story about the faithfulness of God. Now, even though over and over and over, Samson doesn't follow God faithfully, God still responds to Samson every time, still gives him strength, still listens to his cries. God is still faithful, even when Samson is not, because that's who God is. I also think that this is a story about grace. 
Now, grace is God's love given to us freely, even when we make mistakes that might be spectacular, even maybe when we're feeling fragile and broken and wronged, even when we're angry and may not be thinking clearly, even when we think we don't deserve it. God's love is given so freely. This grace is for you and for me. Do we believe that God loves us, that God's grace is for us? Does God love us even more than those wicked and evil people? I mean, the truth is God loves everyone, no matter how we define them. God defines them as my children. And that doesn't mean that God loves what everyone is doing or our actions, but God loves everyone. God loves us all in the middle of our weakness and our brokenness and our hurting, and God loves us enough not to leave us there. All of the world, all of creation, no exceptions. No matter how many times we break God's heart by what we do, God still loves us. And there's nothing you can do about it. You can love God back. We can worship We can turn our life around and do what God has called us to do. That's what we do in response to God's love and grace for us. Because we have been offered the gift of salvation, we respond to all of God's people to meet their needs. Not to pay God back for what God has done, or to earn salvation, or even to earn more love from God. Because there's nothing that we can do that Jesus hasn't already done for us. We don't do good works to earn God's favor and God's grace. We do good works because God has already loved us. God loves you. God loves what you can be and who you are. God loves you for who you were and who you will become. God loves you. Now, as people of the United Methodist Church, um, we know the story of John Wesley pretty well. Now, if you're unfamiliar, John Wesley was the founder of the Methodist movement. Um, And although he lived in England, he spent some time in the United States and America to share the message of the gospel and see how God's grace moved and worked. John Wesley was brilliant and faithful and complicated. And through a series of some unfortunate circumstances, made some mistakes, and, you know, a warrant was issued for his arrest. Um, So John Wesley returned to England, and he returned defeated. He didn't do what he had set out to do at all, and in fact, may have done more harm than good. And although he remained faithful to his vows as an Anglican priest, he felt like he was just going through the motions. He believed in God's love and forgiveness, but he was struggling and believing it for himself. Until one day he went to a worship service where he heard God's God's message of love proclaimed in a way that he finally heard it for himself. And at Aldersgate, Wesley said that his heart was strangely warmed as he realized that Jesus died for me. Yes, even for me. That's the love of God. To realize that God loved the whole world so much that God sent Jesus Christ. And that you, as an individual of sacred worth, are who God had in mind in doing that. God loves you. And sometimes that can just be too overwhelming or too big for us to imagine. God loves you. So don't worry about trying to figure out all the intricacies of God's love. Don't worry about how you can repay God for God's love because you can't. 
Don't worry about doing everything perfect so that you can keep God's love. Just stay in love with God and let God love you. And that love will change you because that's who God is. God loves us right where we are and God loves us enough not to leave us there. And we get to tell others about that love. That love that changed us. The love that loves us. The love that changed and is changing the world. Now there are consequences for our actions. You know this. We've all experienced it. And there are times when there's no explanation for something that happened because you can't make sense out of senselessness. What is true is God is there with you, offering God's self to you, because that's who God is. God is faithful. God is love. Love is seen on the cross. Love that loves you. Love that loves the world. Will you stand on the side of love, knowing that the road isn't easy, but you never go alone? Or maybe as Samson did, on the side of revenge. I don't think that ever ends well. However, no matter what choice you make, the love of God never leaves you. Thank God for God's amazing grace and for the faithfulness of God. Let us all stand on the side of love together. Thanks be to God. Amen.